Welcome to Booked, where two bright young gentlemen tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Sned. I'm glad we're trying out some of these other openings after yeah. <laughs> the last episode. Um, we're <laughs> well, it's in the spirit of like our books, you know. Young oh, gentlemen. see, yeah. I thought I thought we were talking last episode. You had said something about oh, we never say we're two we men tell men. you about, yeah, we're two toxic males tell you about the books they're reading. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I think we should try that as a tactic. Maybe we should do the toxic male episode. I'm going to find us oh, some real no. toxic male <laughs> literature to read and review. Oh no, what did I do? Um, well, I'm, we're getting that seven year itch too, so we're going to have to start changing things up. Dude, we're one episode away from seven years. <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. So we're going to celebrate this episode by reviewing not one, but two books. See, yeah. other other podcasts have called us crazy for the amount of books we review. This time we're reviewing two. Granted, they're short children's books, but it's still two books, right? I mean, yeah. No one can no one can argue against that. It is two books. This week we're going to be bringing you a doubleheader, Secret of the Old Clock, the first in the Nancy Drew series, and Tower Treasure, uh, which is the first in the Hardy Boys series. And Rob and I both did some research and found out some interesting things, but I think we'll hold off until after maybe we do the bios to talk about those things. Cool. I, we've never done two books before. I don't know how to do this. Should we do, I can do both bios and then you do both synopsis, or do you want to go back and forth? Sure, do the bios. I'll do the synopsis. They're going to sound pretty similar. Um, The Nancy Drew author bio. um, Carolyn Keene is a pen name used by a variety of authors for the classic Nancy Drew mystery series. The first author to use the pseudonym was Mildred Wirt Benson, who wrote 23 of the original 30 books. Other writers who have adapted the Carolyn Keene moniker include Leslie McFarlane, James Duncan Lawrence, Walter Kerrig, and Nancy Axelrod. So that was the Nancy Drew author's name, Carolyn mm-hmm. Keene, being a, a pen name. Yeah, read the other one. Franklin W. Dixon is a pen name used by a variety of authors <laughs> writing for the classic series The Hardy Boys. The first and most well-known Franklin W. Dixon was Leslie McFarlane a Canadian author who contributed 19 of the first 25 books in the series. Other writers who have adopted the pseudonym include Christopher Lampton, John Button, Amy McFarlane, and Harriet Stratemeyer Adams. I read a number of Hardy Boys books when I was a kid, and that number is probably 10, 15. I don't know. I was in like third or fourth grade. And I read um, not as many Nancy Drew books because, as everybody knows, I'm a sexist and and always have been. Um, (laughs) Right on Front Street. Well, I guess it's in the the spirit of the times for these. Right. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, listen, you know, I I get it that today there's there's this kind of push. But when every 10 year old boy is kind of sexist, right? Like you, you most boys look to do sports or they look to do like the boy thing. And there's not a ton of them running around playing with dolls. It was no different in 1980 or 1982 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I am so disheartened to know that these were not real authors, that the Dixon and, and Keen were not real people. And I, I didn't know this until this week. 
So I assumed when you know books were still being written 70 years later that it wasn't the same person because one of my favorite <laughs> series of all time had devolved into being written that way. But You're at like, least man, that Frank one. Frank Dixon's still cranking them out. Yeah, but you know, so Don Pendleton, who did the Executioner <laughs> series, which I loved, like he wrote, I think it was something like 35 of the first 37 books, but he created it. He sold it. He carried it on. And then they, they said, hey, you know, we want to put these out real frequently. We're going to need we're going to need a team. And like, I understand yeah. why that happens, but at least there's a guy I can credit that to that I believed in as an author. Right. There was no fucking Carolyn Keene ever. That's really disappointing. <laughs> like as an adult, I'm very sad about this. I there's, there's a rabbit hole that I plan to go down as far as this, this information goes. And we can do that now, or we can wait till after we talk about the books. Now let's, let's see if it comes up naturally. And if yeah. not, we'll do it. We'll do it in our kind of wrap ups and stuff. <laughs> I don't know how much we're going to talk about these books as stories, but uh, <laughs> we'll start with the Nancy Drew book, secret of the old clock. The secret of the old clock is the mystery that began it all for America's favorite teenage sleuth. The accidental rescue of a little girl who lives with her two great aunts leads to an adventurous search for a missing will. This book was published on May 1st of 1930. So we're going on 90 years since this uh, this came out. Here is the Tower Treasure synopsis. A dying criminal confesses that his loot has been stored in the tower, in quotation marks. Both towers of the looted mansion are searched in vain. It remains for the Hardy Boys to make an astonishing discovery that clears up the mystery and clears the name of a friend's father. Published uh, three years prior to... Um, Secret of the Old Clock, so June 1st, 1927, so that is already at 91 years old. Um, well, let's start with the synopses. Uh, Nancy Drew, spot on, right? Very good, yep. Tower Treasure synopsis is a bunch of garbage. I honestly, <laughs> I was hoping that you would say that because I actually went back to Amazon after I had pasted that into our, our little document to make sure that I didn't miss either miss a paragraph three paragraphs. Or, yeah. Yeah. Like, because it, it reads like it reads with there's missing information and it's, and it's honestly like, yeah, it's like you said, it's a bunch of garbage, I guess is the best way to say it. But, the synopsis starts yeah. at 80% of the way into a book. That's like 200 pages yeah. with the listing is it's realistically maybe like 120. Holy crap. Yeah, And then like the part, um, both towers of the looted mansion, which it doesn't mention in the first sentence. We didn't know there was a mansion that had <laughs> towers until it mentioned them as if we already knew them. Yeah. Wow. That's really fucking terrible. Yeah. I wonder if that's the original synopsis. I don't know. So like I did, when I searched Amazon, I found several listings and there was a, <laughs> there was like this one that showed what looked like an original old ass like cover art. Mm-hmm. And then there was a different one with newer looking cover art that was the synopsis was just talking about how it's a new version of the book. It didn't talk about the book itself. So this is the synopsis that I chose to go with. Yeah. Um, really, really weird. Yeah. So let's uh, let's tackle. I mean, I guess let's tackle them in the order they came out. I know we did the stuff backwards, but the the Hardy Boys was the first book written. Yeah. Um, there's some things I learned, man. Uh, that I, uh, again, much like I learned things through children's books, apparently. Do you know, when you read this, did it strike you as odd that they had, like, motorcycles in 1927? Not that they existed, but that, like, two teenage boys could afford motorcycles? 
That was my first hint that we might have some white privilege going on. Well, I just I thought I had to look it up because I didn't think motorcycles were in like a wide, you know, circulation. Oh, like widely, like they were yeah. household items yeah, yet. Like a, yeah, I mean, I figured they they might have been out there, and I found out like the Harley Davidson company. I looked this up a week ago when I started the book. It was like eighteen something, eighteen hundred something, eighteen ninety something, or whatever. Harley Davidson was founded. Um, but yeah, I was a little surprised that uh, that they were able to be so mobile. Well, I, and I wonder. They kept saying motorcycles, but like, what are the chances that it was more like a dirt bike? Like a, you know what I'm saying? Like not right. What sure. we think yeah. of a motorcycle like nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you might be right. I was just surprised that that was like a mode of transportation right. for for an average person, even if they're a little affluent or whatever. But you know what I mean? That that was something like you know you just knew somebody that owned a motorcycle was was surprising to me. So yeah, talking about the motorcycles, the reason. Livy's mentioned them is because the book starts out with the Hardy Boys on their motorcycles going to deliver paperwork for on behalf of their father. And this is going to be important when we start to talk about the opening of the Nancy Drew book. Um, <laughs> but for now, that's how it starts out. And they encounter a crazy driver on the street and then, um, like, who's racing around and as they go to, to do their business and then they go and do their business and then it comes back around later. But like, that was one of the things that I noticed about this book was like something seemingly important, like the guy driving like a maniac that you would just want to resolve in the moment. They just kind of put away because they got other stuff to do. And that seems like it's a theme throughout the book. The thing that struck me early on, I actually remembered reading parts of this book when they started talking about the guy with the red wig like I knew they were going to a wig store. I knew the red wig was stolen. Like there are things I remember from reading this 30 plus years ago, like not the whole story. But as I was reading it, things kind of unfolded. That I remembered, but I, I'd forgotten their father was an yeah. investigator, which is um, which is very interesting. Right. Because then he can help them do these things. So not only does he send them on these errands that puts them in the way of running into things like this, but um, how they can kind of grow up to be. Um, to use him as a as a role model and example, and I thought that yeah. was kind of an interesting um, thing for the authors. I don't even know what to say anymore because <laughs> I can't say the Dixon, you know. But um, you know that, that he wound up putting in there, so I, I, I really like that from from that standpoint. It's something that I didn't remember from reading several of these books that had completely escaped me. Yeah, and I think that that's a probably it was it, probably it started that way because they needed a reason for these boys to suddenly like be like become detectives basically. Sure. Mm-hmm. So they kind of fell into the father's business or whatever. And like they had him to kind of give them clues or, or hints or advice. Yeah. So getting yeah. more into the story. Um, what happens pretty quickly is this car runs off the road, the Hardy boys, whatever contact police, let them know whatever but their friend's car is stolen now here's where it gets even weirder i also thought that in 1927 maybe there also weren't a ton of motorcycles but i didn't think like other high school age kids had cars like when i say to you a 1927 car you have to be picturing in your head like almost like a model t ford right and that there's very few people that have them that yeah especially since they're like leading into the great depression right right there are cars everywhere in these goddamn books yeah, Everybody has a car, car, just about. Yeah, which was a little weird, and I don't know how much of that is written in, like, 
the Hardy boys, the Hardy family is uh, is fairly well off, and not everybody in the story is. Um, so I don't know if we're expected to believe that they're kind of a rich family in a rich neighborhood. Like it didn't, it wasn't made very clear. But are we supposed to think that? And is that why people would look up to them as characters? You'd emulate to be like the Hardy Boys because the Hardy Boys are handsome kids who live in a really nice house that can afford motorcycles, right? Um, or is that more common at the time than we than we think? Are you suggesting that um, you could earn a better wage back then than you can today? Are you being a social justice warrior? No, I'm. I'm just I, no, I'm just. I'm, I'm wondering. So, if we did, so if we wrote this, if we created this today without any foreknowledge of kids' mystery series, you know, would the kid have the newest iPhone? Would he have a really cool sports car at like 17? Is that what we would write? Because that's what we think kids that age and or younger would want. That's a good point. That's that's yeah. kind of what I'm saying. Or would we write him like the you know like the average kid who you know he has a car but it's super beat up and he has to borrow it from his dad to get to his job and he's got like a shitty cell phone because his family isn't that well off. Like would we make it right. more realistic or would we elevate that character to a status where where people um, desire to be him or her? Yeah, I think we would elevate it. That's probably what would happen. Um. Yeah, but all right. So back to the point that you were making, though. I agree. It was a little bit weird um, when I was reading it to think, oh, these guys have motorcycles. Their chubby friend has a like a hot rod, basically, is what it almost sounded like. Obviously, it was like I don't think it was the time for hot rods, but like Mm -hmm. it was definitely like a car that was, you know, was supposed to be like a pretty sweet car. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So the mystery. Um, that they latch on to first was finding the stolen chubby friend's car. And um, in the process of it, like, I don't know how much we want to go into, like, the fucking minutia of, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because, like, we right. could get really detailed or we could basically sure. say, like, they wanted to help their friend's car. And it actually led them to um, a kind of a concurrent mystery of a of a theft that takes place, um, you know. Mm-hmm. That their that their their friend's dad is accused of, right? So that's really the whole thing. I, I think I think you essentially covered it. <laughs> a reclusive uh, family that's very well off is robbed. Um, they blame the caretaker of the property, and, and we are going to go into spoilers on this because I think there's some stuff here that merits mentioning just from from poor writing. Um, and, and obviously the Hardy Boys solve it through a series of investigations, a bunch of dead ends, but eventually they kind of get lucky and, and and really through their dad. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing, right? So they find the jewels finally, but their dad is the one who catches the criminal. Yeah, the deathbed confession that's mentioned in the uh, right uh, synopsis. Yeah, that the, so, the whole case really hinges on the guy basically telling them exactly what he did. Yeah, but then doing it in a cryptic enough way as he's dying yeah. to create a whole nother mystery. <laughs> so um, this was, um, I mean, that's it, right? Plot-wise, we start just talking about stuff now. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I guess the the mechanics of it are that, like I kind of hinted at, was like, so there's multiple things that need to be figured out, and they all kind of dovetail together um, to be like every, every crime that's pretty much represented in this book was perpetrated by the guy that confessed. So, but yeah, otherwise that's pretty much it. 
I do seem to remember from reading previously, I could be completely wrong, but one of the other things that struck me is there is another character. He is another private investigator in town. And he is also searching because there's a thousand dollar reward for anybody who um, who finds the, the the stuff that was stolen. And I think he occurs. He's an interesting character because I believe he reoccurs to kind of go up against the Hardy Boys from time to time, if memory serves correctly. And I thought that was an interesting thing to put in the book. Um, I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a detective in town that the two teenagers will best who knows how many times through the course of the series, he's trying really hard to get a job at the police department. Right. And he's going to do that by solving crimes and showing his value, but he keeps being thwarted by, um, by Joe and Frank Hardy, Joe and Frank, right? Yeah. Joe and Frank Hardy. Yeah. And, um, so I thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, thing to put in the first book as a setup for, for later stories. Yeah. And I don't, like <laughs> my mind, cause I haven't read, I think I might have read Hardy Boys books along the way. Probably mm-hmm. something to do with a cave. Um, but I don't really have any memory of it. But, um, like, then the inevitable, like, if the Hardy Boys series grew up with the boys, eventually that detective is hanging himself, right? That's the inevitable yeah. outcome. Well, for sure. Like I said, you've got these two high school kids that are beating you at everything. Yeah. yeah it's got to be tough. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. the language is the other thing that, that not, not, I don't know, the language and, and the people. So when I read the Hardy boys, or if I watch an, a really old movie, like, okay, so in your mind, and I'm going to pull this out. If I uh, say, Oh, you know, there's this thing. It was in the 1940s and it was these guys in New York, right? They're walking down the street. I have to imagine the image that comes to you is that they're wearing suits. They're wearing hats Right. They have the yep. jacket, like the, the trench coat draped over their arm because that's how everybody looked. Now, I don't know how accurate that is. Um, but this is kind of the same thing. If you said, hey, two boys in the late 1920s um, live in a suburb and they're solving mysteries, I, I expect them to say things like, why that cheap so and so? Because that's an actual line from this book. <laughs> So I wonder how much of that is, uh, again, kind of like the same thing. Like, did the average 17-year-old boy have a motorcycle in 1927? Did the average 17-year-old boy say, why that cheap so-and-so? Or were they calling people fuckers? And that's just not what's cool to put into a book or movie, especially for that time. <laughs> where now that's more acceptable. Like, we would, we would, if we watched a TV show or a movie about teenagers solving a murder... Um, we would expect that one of them gets high all the time, right? That one of them is a is a complete tramp. Yeah, there's um, yeah. Right? Ter- yeah. <laughs> and and that's what we would expect for it to be realistic to us. Yeah. So I don't know how realistic this was for the for the nineteen twenties or nineteen thirties by the time I'm guessing it rose to like, you know, a, a lot of popularity. And what what do you think about that, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Um yeah. Um <sighs> So my impression was, A, I agree with you, like that's the what you would expect of the time, but B, um, these were specifically supposed to be, and we'll, when we go down my rabbit hole, we'll, we'll see just how intentional all this was. Um, they were specifically supposed to be for, for kids who want to be entertained, and so I have to imagine that there was a very, like, keep it clean, keep it wholesome kind of, you know, a- approach to the way that these books are written. Um, so even if like the, even if, you know, the first draft said that like, you know, Joe Hardy called him a rat fucker, eventually he became a so-and-so, you know, like that kind of thing. 
But the other thing yeah. I want to the other thing I want to mention is from the first chapter I think of the Hardy Boys book. You going back to the how you would imagine people to look in the forties. I thought it was funny you said that because I I did highlight a part that says but they had noted that he was hatless. So <laughs> it, not wearing a hat was notable. <laughs> um, which I mean that's my era if you think about it. I'm always wearing a hat. So that's very. If you uh, were not wearing a hat, it would be noted. You would note it. Yeah. Yep, I would definitely note it. And then you'd call me an old so and so. Gotta tell you, there's another one. <laughs> this is towards the end of the book too, but he says, "I feel like a dud rocket," and I know mean, what the yeah. words mean, but I had to read it like three times to understand what the fuck he was saying. Yeah. You know, I remember exactly what you're talking about because I was like, "What the hell is a dud?" And then just moved on because I didn't care enough to like. Yeah, no, I know what a dud yeah. is, and I know what a rocket, but I couldn't like. I was like, I, and I, and that's, "Like he just I, fizzled out or something?" Or I yeah, yeah, like like he was supposed to do something and failed. Um. But, you know, that that's what I think to myself, is that something the average kid would have said. Like in, that's the you know, best thing that they could think of to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like right now. So what you would say is, God, I feel like such a loser. Yeah. Or right? a failure. But back then, yeah, you were a dud rocket. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's maybe that's what you were. And that's wow. what's, I guess, kind of interesting about this glimpse into the past. Yeah. Yeah. So. um, Another another kind of time sensitive not time sensitive but an of the times kind of thing that goes along those lines with the way that people say things was toward the end and this might have been this was the last chapter um so someone says something and it's not even like profanity or like a slur or anything and the the woman because it's a like a brother and sister who live in this tower mansion place the sister says no slang please not in tower mansion well, that they were so weird too, because they were reclusive brother and sister. They made it a big deal that the woman wore like garishly clashing colors. Yeah, um, which old women do today, by the way. That that has not changed in ninety years. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was. I, mean, I don't know. It, it was weird. It was enjoyable as a as a you know a little fun little quick mystery. But there's absolutely no depth to it, though. Yeah, I um, found. And again, I, f- I found what the the offensive slang was Are you ready for this yes that what that guy had to be corrected it was detective smuff by the way who said a thousand bucks instead of a thousand dollars and then well uh, rob rob yeah i won't have that on this podcast well he was corrected dollars mr smuff dollars no <laughs> slang please not in tower mansion and then he goes on to slang more, so good for him because yeah. he's like a thousand Iron Men, one thousand round, fat, juicy smackers. <laughs> we would have had a hard time living in the nineteen twenties, I oh imagine. Yeah, I w- well, I would have had a lot of fun making fun of people. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, uh, one thing I, I had. You go. One thing I thought was because I'm looking at the the final page of the book. This is this is why it came to my attention, and you probably noticed this too. Um, is it's obvious that from the start, this was going to be a series because like two paragraphs from the end, I'm going to read this. Um, so they're accepting their, uh, their reward for, 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 for solving the mystery. And then they hoped another mystery would soon come their way. And one did at the house on the cliff, which is all bold. Mm-hmm. So they were advertising, Hey, Come on back for the next story right in the end of the, of the book, which is 
fucking sleazy from like a like a literature perspective, <laughs> right? Doesn't that seem real sleazy? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I saw that, and yes, I noticed it. But the thing that immediately came to me was that books that I read when I was a kid, when it was like age appropriate for me to read these. Yeah, I think they all did that. Right, because they wanted to like hook you in. Sure. And then, like, the absolute next page was, here's a list of all the other books that you can read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Um, and I, I don't... The reason I don't find it sleazy, and this is something I was going to say for the wrap-up, but I'm, I'm going to go into it now. <laughs> the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew are super, super, super important to the history of reading. For sure. And that's why I think that, like, when you're promoting to a child, there's an if you like this, there's another book you could read. I get it. That's kind of a selling tactic. But you know what I've always said? If it gets a kid to read a book, I, I don't have a bad word to say about it. And that's kind of, uh, you know, like if it got someone excited enough at the end that they went and said, hey, I want to read another book, then I, I don't blame it for happening. I know that it was a marketing tool on their part, but I also see it as uh, I can see it from a more altruistic sense. Which is, hey, let's get kids to read more books. So, yeah, and like the thing, the thing about a child. Here's where I, I'll back up. I think it's sleazy, still, but I think it's sleazy toward the people who had to buy the books, not necessarily toward the children. Because like that kid's like, oh great, there's more books. I'm gonna go read more books. All they care about is the reading. They're not like, do I have to? Can I buy this book or pay the electricity bill? Like that's not. So that's, like no, that's true. They don't have a moral quandary. They just have I want to read this book. So, um, and the benefits, like you said, immeasurable. Like, and I, I remember, you know, those kind of targeted things as a child, and all it meant was, hey, there's more for me to read. That's all mm -hmm. I got out of it. Not like, hey, I need to. There wasn't a trade of you know what I'm saying, goods involved. Right. So sure. it was from the kids' perspective, not sleazy, but still, that's. <sighs> I don't know. It seems a little Patterson. <laughs> Maybe it does. I read um, most of these books from my school library when I was a kid, so I didn't even think about the money yeah, aspect. It right. was like whatever library day was when I was in third grade, you know, like one day a week that we got to spend an hour in the library. I was just hoping to be able to get whatever that the house on the cliff or right. whatever it was as, as the next book that I read. The Caves Part 17. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap this one up. Oh, I, I did have one other note. His father details the chase for this criminal, <laughs> and the guy he managed to steal a railroad hand car and get away from yeah. us. This is like out of a goddamn Charlie Chaplin movie. So, yeah, maybe what was these the music actually happened? Right? Yeah, look, he's just pumping away at this thing, and of course, he goes off the tracks, and that's how they finally catch him, and he injures himself and dies. And I was a little surprised at the death too. Um, although we don't see it, I was surprised that a character died. Yeah, in, in, in a, a somewhat violent way. Yeah. I mean, I know he has an accident because he's running away from the police and stuff. But yeah, I, I did. I, that did catch me a little off guard because the rest of the book was so um, so. Yeah. Gee whiz, Rob, we should really get on this. You know that, so that actually having someone die was yeah was a little surprising to me. Well, and if you think about it, um, even the fact that he was a criminal, like they go into the past of the criminal a little bit because like Mister Hardy did you know did his research and everything. He told the boys when he learned. Um, like, even the criminal himself, it seems like he was to some degree 
a product of his environment as opposed to being an actual bad person. Like, they backed him off of being a criminal to the point where it was like, he made some bad choices. Not like, yeah. this guy was a real scumbag. Yeah, that's so true. they even kind of sterilized. And I don't know if it's like, the deathbed confession was redemption for, for the criminal. I don't think they went that deep into it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, the death was a little bit um, surprising. Yep. All right, I will kick off the uh, the wrap up. Oh, I talk about a hard hard book to give a rating to. Um, I read some Hardy Boys uh, books when I was just a little book reviewer without a podcast, um, and I remember being very excited about them. I kind of pretty quickly moved on. I had a I mentioned on the podcast before the Three Investigators. That was my jam um, when I was that age, and those were. I believe being written at the time. So the Hardy boys were already old then. And I knew that as a kid. So I was able to read more contemporary stuff that was very similar, although there were three of them, but they were solving the same kind of mysteries, you know? Um, but for its place in history, I don't know how many people started reading or got serious about reading because of the Hardy boys, but I imagine the number is high and it's something that uh, we don't have nowadays. I mean, I don't think kids read nearly, um, uh, anywhere near as much as it would probably be good for their development. Cause much like myself as an adult, when I'm not reading, what am I doing? I'm reading stupid comments on Facebook and Twitter or watching YouTube videos, but there are kids who could be 15 or 16 maybe, and haven't had a read a book that wasn't a school forced down their throat book, which I think is terrible. So, um, the story's cheesy. It's super simple. It's a lot of, uh, shucks, golly gee, um, we got to do this, but for its importance on the history of people reading, I'm going to give this five stars. Ooh, excellent. I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach with my, my wrap up and I'm going to just kind of talk about like, so, uh, I, from what I understand from the very, very small amount of research I did, like this series was a little bit of a pioneering approach to, um, books for kids where, um, the the overall intention was entertainment um and like we said like we emphasize this is very sterile very like oh golly shucks uh toned down for like a kid's audience um it's entertaining and it's got where it has a simple plot and um some definite like massive chunks of exposition that you would need if you were a kid and you can't kind of like put two and two together as much. Um, it was, a, it was a interesting story. Like it, it made you think like, well, I wonder what did happen there. So it did, it did the trick that it was supposed to do. Um, but it also kind of reinforced some of the, like, if you work hard, you'll get what you want. And like those types of like good values, like family values or like, you know, I wouldn't say it reinforces critical thinking, but like it does enough like exposing the process of trying to figure something out that it could encourage a kid to kind of go down a similar path, which I think is tons of value. Um, it was even pretty entertaining for me as an adult, even though I thought it was very, very basic and all that kind of stuff. Um, so overall, <laughs> if I were a kid, I would have thought it was great. As an adult, I see the value in it. So I'm going to go with Livius. Um, overall, like monumental contribution to like the history of literature in the United States. So we're going to go five stars on it. Nice. I didn't think you'd like it that much. Um, I do want to mention 
it's, it's a little spoiler territory, so tune out for 20 seconds. If you. <laughs> There's that whole thing with the caretaker and the 900 bucks. Yeah. So uh, for listeners, I'll explain what happened. The caretaker is fired because he's, you know, the person who's on the grounds the whole time. But the the person who the money's stolen from, the, the rich guy in the mansion, finds out that um, he had paid a $900 debt that day. The caretaker did. So he, of course, makes the, the very logical assumption, like, I was ripped off for thousands of dollars. And this guy goes and pays a $900 debt. I know what I pay him. And he can't possibly have 900 bucks. Right. But the caretaker will not say where he got the money. Now, what I'm calling bullshit on is at the end... The sister, who also lives in the mansion, fesses up to giving him the money or loaning him the money or whatever, but doesn't do it to save his ass beforehand. Right. So when she could have said, look, I'm not saying he didn't steal it, but you can't use the 900 bucks. I gave him that money or loaned him the money or whatever. <laughs> well, there wouldn't she, be a story. Well, but yeah, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just calling like like that was a bullshit. I, like that woman fesses up to it at the end, even though the caretaker at the very end when he's been cleared of the charges doesn't say it. She steps up and says it. So I'm thinking somebody would step up at that point. Should yeah. probably stay. And I know what you're saying. It, that Right. There's no story then because then you can explain away the 900 bucks pretty quickly. But I, I don't know if that was needed. In the story, it just it didn't ring very true, I guess. Of all the things in the story, that rang right. the less the least true. Because like, so. if you don't have that nine hundred dollar thing, you could, I mean, you could just hang it on him by the fact that like he was the only person who like, you know, anybody was aware of that had access to steal the stuff. And well, he, he admits that he, he knew saw the safe, the safe combo. combination, yeah. right? Like, you don't need any more <laughs> you don't than need, that. You don't need the nine hundred dollars. But that was like, I mean, it was a lesson in integrity too. Like, if someone asks you not to say something. Regardless of the consequences. Oh, that's blah, a very blah, blah. good. That's a very good point. All right, yeah. all right. I guess I have to remember that this may have been intended to be somewhat educational. Which I really, by the way, I just want to commend you because that didn't really occur to me when I was reading it. But you put it pretty well on the values and stuff that were kind of yep. reinforced. And yep. I didn't really think about it as I was reading it as just reading it for entertainment and not for like a in-depth analytical. You know, what was the author trying to tell us? Um, but yeah, I commend you on your recognizing that and pointing it out. Yeah, so let's talk some Nancy Drew. If we must, here we go. Nancy Drew. <laughs> the, uh, I'm, I'm I'm trying, like, I want to be, like, super sexist about this, and I can't. Like, I, I just thought it would be fun to kind of, you know, uh, push the envelope on sexism here. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to. I, I really like this story, too. Uh, the Secret of the Old Clock, published uh, three years afterwards by the same goddamn people which also broke my heart a little bit because i in my mind as a kid and if you ask me about a book series like i think about like an author had a great idea and they wanted to write this which is why i'm so disappointed that these were fake authors and that a publishing company kind of created the thing this was the original book mill yeah and then to find out that nancy drew came three years later because they were like hey this is working really well for boys how about we try it for girls too and copy the exact same um, yeah. type, you know, storyline, but with a girl instead of two boys. It's pretty much what happened. Like that, if you read, if you read up on and rabbit hole, like if you read up on it, that's pretty much what happened. But um, to the point where, and it's fucking just so entertaining because I read the Hardy Boys one first, and then I read the Nancy Drew one, um, probably mostly because I'm a boy and I wanted to read boy stuff, like you said before. Um, the book starts out 
Nancy Drew is driving her convertible to uh, someone's house. Let's stop right there. Did you know that convertibles existed in 1930? (laughs) I'm just saying the exact same reaction. Well, you know what? Like, so from being a fan of the TV show Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know, they used to do all those like old, old movies and stuff. Every car in those old movies was a convertible. So I just assumed it was kind of like everybody's driving convertibles. Um, But so she's driving her convertible to deliver paperwork on behalf of her lawyer father. So he's not a private detective, but as a lawyer, he investigates things all the time for his clients. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's the exact same thing. Uh, yeah, and he's well regarded in town, and and uh, they're you know, I, I imagined them in the same house. To be hundred percent honest with you, like, right? Except that I was a little surprised too. Like her mother had died, yeah, previously, but instead she has like a doting housekeeper. Yeah, and death. Remember how you were like, I can't believe they killed that guy. Mm-hmm. First chapter, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself. First chapter of the book. Uh, all right, I'm gonna back up. Nancy's drive-in. Uh, to deliver this paperwork and a girl little girl runs out in the road and almost gets hit by a delivery van who's that's speeding a speeding car parallel um hits almost gets hit by a, and she falls off a bridge into the water and Nancy has to get out of her car and go save the girl brings her back to the, these women who are great aunts and this is the accidental rescue of a little girl part of the synopsis <laughs> brings the girl back to these women and um so we get a little backstory on the girl. We hear a little bit about her, the, the aunts, why she doesn't have, why she's not living with her parents. And this is the explanation of what happened to the parents. One line, her parents were killed in a boat explosion three years ago. In a boat explosion. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you think at that point that boat explosion was going to be part of the mystery? No, I honestly okay. didn't. I just okay, thought, I just thought it was so strange that they were so specific and gruesome. Like, yeah. uh, it's weird. I thought that that was somehow going to tie into, oh. you know what I mean? Like, like the later we would find out that 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 family. So jumping ahead a little bit, but the family in question with the will, oh the Tophams or whatever, yeah, what had something to do with that? Like it was a long play for them to kill that girl's parents. Gotcha. Nope, just random boat explosion. Like random boat explosion. Like they couldn't have died, you know, in a car accident. They had, to, they had to make it sexier. Well, that's okay. So I'm gonna go even sexier than that. And I, I'm sure I'm completely off the beaten path here. Do you think the great ants were lesbians? I definitely think the well, they were both. Well, they were related. So no, were they? Well, it was. Did implied, they actually mention? Okay, think, I think it was implied that they were. But they kind of les. They were kind of lesbians. Kind of. All right. So Nancy, so of course, you know, she, she delivers the, the, the young girl home and she's invited in and thanked and then, you know, dried off because she went in the water to get the girl and fed lunch. But then, like, they immediately start pouring their heart out about, like, how broke they are and how this guy was going to give them money who was like a friend of theirs or their cousin or something, right? It just seemed like yeah. such a weird thing to put on a stranger that comes in into your home. So I, I get it. It's it's obviously a catalyst for the story. Um, and the story goes something like this. They had a close 
fan, they had a family member who was friendly to them, gave them money and had said he was very well off, but he was kind of like just living with some people because he was super frugal. But he had said, oh, guys, don't worry. When I'm gone, I'm going to leave you something and you won't have to worry about money as much. This is the story that she's told within like 10 minutes of saving this kid's life, right? Like she's brought in the house, like given a, a cake or something like to eat. And then they're like, oh, woe is us. We're so poor. Yeah. And, and, and it here, happens later in the book again. It happens all all over this book. I even have a yeah. quote that I'm going to read. Um, because, I mean, that, that fucking guy's will is the hottest topic that's ever happened to this town that they're in. Um, but I want to, I want to, I want to analyze a little bit. Like, did you get the feeling that back in those days, people were just kind of generally more obligated to each other in a way? Cause like, I'm not trying to be cold hearted, but if I see a little girl fall off a bridge into the water, I'm going to try and save her, but I'll probably leave the car running. Cause once that save is done, I'm getting back <laughs> to my business. I'm not going to yeah. go inside and take a shower and fucking eat with these people and learn their fucking life story. I'm going to be like, sucks about your kid. And then I'm going to go back to whatever it is I was doing before. I am 100% with you because I hate people and I've lived next door to people for years and years and never so much as like, did the kind of like, what's up gesture to them when I see them outside? Cause I don't care. <laughs> well, that, and they stole your Kindle all those years ago. Well, that's so. yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm still harboring that ill will, but, um, I don't know, man. We're led to believe that people were more community oriented um, in, in earlier days and in smaller communities. So I sure. grew up in a big city, and that that when I moved out to the suburbs, I grew up in Chicago, and then I moved out to the suburbs, twenty five miles north of Chicago, when I was nineteen, and I was just confused by strangers saying hello to me, and not confused like I got <laughs> it, but it was just it was awkward and weird because I, I grew up where I didn't know the person who lived two houses down at all. Right. Like I didn't even make eye contact with them. And I, I just I vividly remember the day we were moving in. I had another friend who I went to college with who was helping us move. He was from Atlanta, like the city proper, and then it was up here for school and lived like just outside downtown Chicago. And, you know, we're moving stuff in. I'd been up to the house a couple times, like moving stuff in my car, but we're we're moving something in and this family walks by and they're like, hey, guys, how you doing? And he looks at me, he's like, do you know those people? Because that was my, like, I had already been exposed to it a little bit, you know, yeah. but he was just as confused as I was. Like, I know I don't know those fucking people. I don't know why they're talking to us. <laughs> um, but even just in the burbs, it seemed like it was friendlier, you know, 25 years ago than it was in the city. So you grew sure. up in the burbs and moved to the city. So you probably had the exact opposite experience. So growing up for you, was it like a real kind of neighborly thing in your, in your neighborhood? Oh yeah. Like, and thinking back on it now, like it would be, this would be my nightmare, but like, I know that me, I have a brother who's a year and a half older. Um, him and I would just go like hang out at uh, at the neighbor's houses like they'd have us in they'd give us something to drink and like they just talk to us and i'm like and not just like the neighbor like the favorite neighbor any neighbor <laughs> like we yeah. were and and as kids like there's just there's less of like a a boundary i think because you're just like you're happy to you're happy for something other than like the fucking thing you see right. but um yeah man like we we were super social and we knew everybody. We knew about their families. We knew everything about like within like a two block radius, we had the whole like neighborhood locked. 
Yeah, and that's so. I think that's a little bit of what ha- what's happened. Now, I know you know Nancy Drew is a stranger to them, but I think that, and and I can even go back to another experience. Uh, the last time I was in Romania, I was uh, I was sixteen, <clears throat> and we, you know, I of course immediately found a group of people around roughly my own age to hang out with because I was there for a goddamn month. <clears throat> but we'd just be walking to like the main part of town. And everybody we passed would say hello to us. And we were expected to at least say hello, if not stop and, and do polite chit chat. And I would, I mean, you know, complete stranger to these people, you know, so I, I, I imagine that it's probably more of a small town thing. Um, but I imagine yeah. that long, that long ago, that was probably the thing where, you know, where in that same, on that same street, they were like, no, oh, Mr. Jones has to raise a barn this Sunday. So everyone's going to go over and help where now. Yeah. I thought I'm not going to go help my fucking neighbors do a goddamn thing. Good, like, luck, good luck with that barn, buddy. Yeah. You know, so it did seem like everybody was way over friendly. Um, but I think that's because we're just fucking jaded. And I think people may have just been more that way than yeah, it's possible. It sounds like in your neighborhood as a kid, it was probably more like that. Yeah. I, and that's the thing. I don't know if we were super charming kids or we were like those annoying kids that wouldn't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. It's 50 50, man. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so that's how we find out about this dude's will. Um and and it it's it's communicated early on that the current will after this guy recently died does not name the great aunts and the kid and as we learn as we go on continues to not name the people who could benefit from having money uh and and it only names this family who um, was related to this guy who uh, for like the last three years had, had had him living with them. And and it was strongly implied that they were, they had him living with them just so that they could get his money when he died. Or outright told. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that happens. I mean, that's sure. Yeah. I'm waiting Um, for you to get a little bit older and I'm going to invite you to live with me. (laughs) Well, you know, the funny part, I think a lot of people don't don't understand is that's essentially that's what retirement homes are. You know, you go move into a retirement home, an old folks home, as we call them, and they take all your Social Security and essentially at the end of your life, all your belongings. Yeah, that's the deal, man. Like, we'll take care of you till you die. But you're essentially signing over everything you have. So this is just done in a more um, familial way, right. I guess, you know, like yeah. you live in a house and there's some kids and hopefully they're kind of nice to you or whatever versus, um, care to, have you seen any of these, uh, latest videos of, of people being abused in old folks homes? I'm completely off topic here, but it's <laughs> goddamn heartbreaking, that's, man. That's not the kind of stuff I look for on YouTube. <laughs> no, no. This is like on the news, man. There's been a, there's like a huge lawsuit against a chain of places, um, that someone had snuck in, a. A hidden camera, yeah, and uh, and watch not 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 like abuse, like just sexual or beating or whatever, but just how poorly this this guy who's like ninety something years old was treated. It's just heartbreaking. So anyway, not to get too far off topic, because I might start to sound emotional, like I have a goddamn heart. Um, in situations like that, I think the people are treated better um, than they would be. And in this story, we have no indication that this guy is mistreated. By that family, like the right. family's a bunch of assholes, but we're never told that he's like mistreated. Like they take him in and it seems like right. he did okay. Yeah, we didn't see like claw marks in the basement window or anything. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, no, and there was no allegation of him even saying I hate those fucking people. He does say I think they're after my money, but yeah, they yeah. also took you in, buddy. Like I think that might have been kind of like an unspoken deal there. You weren't paying anything <laughs> to stay there. 
And if you think about it, like the way that this book plays out, all anybody can talk about is that guy's money. So everybody was after that guy's money. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> so um, as the story, and again, I think this is we're going to break down and not go into super detail with the story, but like Nancy and her lawyer father um, feel for the these great aunts and then um and and along the way meet other people who who have a similar claim to um a will a, what they're calling a later will they think that there's a will that was made later on than the one that exists so she meets all these different people who think that they should be in this later will and it's her goal to figure out um and find the later will so everybody gets what they deserve yeah, there are uh, three other groups of people that she uh, that she meets with, and eventually she stumbles onto clues um, that lead to the title of the book, "The Old Clock." Um, so that's uh, this one a little bit too. So some of the differences, uh, there's a lot of similarities, right? But there are some some pretty stark differences, and and here's what they are: um, dialogue. There's a lot of um, self dialogue. That's the word I'm looking for. Inner oh, dialogue. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in because, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah, because yeah. she's alone. So the Hardy Boys, it's always the two of them. And I, and I don't think they're separated at all in that first book, but they always have each other to say, gee, golly willikers to, you know, and, yep. and share an idea. Exclaiming Nancy, to themselves. Yeah, Nancy has nobody. Nancy is on her own. So much so that there are a lot of points in the Hardy Boys books where there's like one part or the Hardy Boys book, when there's one part where they get a whole gang of their friends to go help them look, and there's like seven or eight of them. And at no point does she even have so much as like an inkling of a sidekick. She's on her own through every true investigative part of the book. So that was one of the differences that I noticed that was interesting. Yeah. Um, The other one was, although the Hardy Boys do get locked in that weird water tower for like a page. Yeah. Like when she goes up, she so at one point she she f- figures out. So the, the truck in the beginning was a moving truck that had stolen a bunch of stuff from the family, from the two great great aunts. She winds up in the course of her mystery, finding out that this clock might be in this cottage that's going to be near something she was invited to. When she gets there, there's a moving truck and they're clearing the place out. And of course, you know. Turns out to be the same people, which is a little suspect from a, from a, uh, you know, a convenience standpoint. Um, but they like corner her. So here she is. She's 18, I think. Right. Is that what the, it's, it's said in the early she's, in the book? I think she's yeah, 18. She's cornered by these three guys who, thank God, at least don't think to like rape and kill her, but lock her in a closet. And I actually felt like she was in more danger than the Hardy Boys were during the course of their first book. So this is actually one of my mate, more bigger bones of contention with the story. Um, I get it. I get it, but I'm still going to complain about it. Um, when the confrontation between her and these moving guys, really, the, I'm going to call them thieves. These thieves uh, happens. She, She's like, well, I should tell the police about what you're doing. And the guy says, you're never going to have a chance to. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this guy's going to try and kill Nancy Drew in book one. And what he meant by that was, I'm going to lock you in a closet. And like, and <laughs> and the thing is, he's, but before he gets to that, I, I kind of jumped the gun. He's like, you're never going to get a chance to, I'm going to do to you what I did to the caretaker 
which makes it sound even more like he's going to kill her. And then he's like, we're locking in this closet. <laughs> it's like, then it, then, but they never said that they locked the caretaker up somewhere. Right. So you had to, but on your own, come to the conclusion that the caretaker is not dead. He's locked up somewhere. And I mean, all right. So again, going back to the Hardy boys, they, they were locked in this water tower. There's two of them. It's an old rickety water tower. I didn't never felt they were in danger. I never felt yeah. Nancy Drew's in danger because I know there's 90 other goddamn books, right? Hobo Johnny. But how, yeah. But how poorly was it a closet? Now, I don't know what houses were built like in that era, but I actually looked at my closet as I was reading. <laughs> and I was like, I could I could like one arm, like one stiff arm, knock the door right off the goddamn hinges. So yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I guess they were really poor playing because. It's not just that they were going to get away and like move on to the next town because when she does catch up to them, she hears them say something about um, putting that, having, making that girl starve to death or whatever. Yeah, so they genuinely believe yeah. she was never going to get out of that closet. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is the part where I sent you a screenshot of some of my quotes. Yes, yes, you did. Um, and I think it's time. And I don't think this was intentional, but like there's this is the 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 language was different back then there was a there was a series of things that happened while she was in the closet that just sounded awkward enough that i had to highlight them so um uh, before she got locked in no closet when she was you know at, at this like i think it was when there was like a camp nearby that she was that she went to is what mm-hmm. livius was talking about earlier um and this one i just got a giggle out of this nancy had frequently handled motorboats and was confident she could manage this one um, but here's was, it, so that was I want to address why that one's so cheesy because I'm pretty sure the term motorboating in the way you're thinking <laughs> this book probably predates it by like 80 years oh yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah that's like within the last probably 10 years um, the trio I'm about to read are all when she's locked in this closet um, she had noticed that there was a rod in the closet that she thought maybe she could help get her she'd use to help get herself out she tugged at the rod with all her might. When it did not budge, she swung herself back and forth on it. And then the second quote is, It's coming, she cried. And this is actually like uh, like a her talking to herself thing. It's coming, she cried. Once more, she threw her weight against the rod. And then the final quote is, It was now easy to insert the wedge, and Nancy joyously realized that success would soon be hers. With renewed strength, she continued her efforts. There's something wrong with you, man. It's weird. It, you know, I so I'm try can't because I can't unsee it. Like you sent me the message, <laughs> I saw it, and then I'm reading oh, and the book, and later. I knew right away. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's exactly what was in my head. But I, I swear to God, I think it's because you put it there. I think I would have read through that whole passage and not given it a second thought. She's swinging on rods, inserting wedges. Oh my God, man! This is what it's like working with Rob. Listeners, just so you know, he found a children's book from the 1930s and managed to sexualize the scene. Well, there was no swinging on rods in the Hardy Boys. There were, there was no rod swinging that that we're aware of. There was that part where they went swimming. That was a little questionable. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, there is that. <laughs> what I did notice in this book, and I'm sure it was in the Hardy Boys book, but God damn it, man, the use of exclamation marks in this book was um, it was just it was vicious. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there was ever a double exclamation mark, but there was definitely a good. I'm actually going to search for it 
while you're while you're talking. Yeah. It seemed like it was a lot, which I guess is something we probably don't see in anything but Fifty Shades of Grey anymore. I think we may have had that same complaint about Fifty Shades of Grey because they were written at the same uh, grade level. Ooh, I don't think the... you can search for punctuation. I think we've been down this road before. I feel like we have. So, um, <laughs> any rate, Nancy wraps up the mystery but manages to do it on her own, which might make her twice the detective that the Hardy Boys are. I agree, and I feel like Nancy put herself in a lot more danger not from like a not to be sexist like but like dollar for dollar she risked her she literally risked her life several times whereas like the hardy boys it seemed like they they had kind of smoother sailing yeah they accidentally risked their lives by climbing up to the water tower yeah like without the knowledge of johnny yep the uh yeah, so there's uh, there's that. Um, she also actually solved the mystery without any help from anybody. So even yeah. though her father gave her pointers and stuff, um, and he was like asking you know other people around town about the will, we already had indicated the Hardy Boys would not have solved that mystery if it wasn't for their dad actually tracking down the criminal, right? And then using his deathbed confession to solve the mystery. So um, of the two, this is gonna be one of the questions. So. Based on your knowledge right now, which which one of the two is the better detective? Is it the Hardy Boys or is it Nancy Drew? Nancy Drew, hundred percent for sure, for sure. And she and like, I don't know. Yeah, she she really was a hundred percent motivated on her own because she wants to be a detective as well. It's not like she wants to be a lawyer. With the Hardy Boys, they could just be wanting to do what Dad does, but with her, she's got this her own passion. So, yep. Um, I want to do, yeah. I guess since we're on it, I want to do one more, um, comparison. I guess we should probably wrap this up. I, we probably should have compared and contrasted the books a little more afterwards. But, um, the other thing that struck me too, is that she was, um, she was completely altruistic. The Hardy boys are trying to find oh, their yeah. best friend's car. They're trying to, um, get their other close friend's dad off the hook for, uh, for, you know, for being a criminal, being a thief. She did this for a bunch of people she didn't know, as a matter of fact, against a family that she knew but didn't like. So, and I don't <laughs> think that was the motivation, but she right. actually knew the bad people in this. And they it's not even that they were bad. Um, there was no there was no other will, as far as they knew. Like, you know what I mean? As it stood, they had the only copy of the will and all that was theirs. They were just kind of shitty people. Right. But the people she was trying to help were complete strangers to her. And the Hardy Boys got an actual monetary reward where Nancy got nothing. She went out of pocket for that old lady. She bought her groceries. She did. I thought that was an interesting section, too, because she said she ordered a sack of groceries. And, you know, I also wondered from the Times, like, could I just walk in and be like, hey, guys, can you just throw together a sack of groceries for me? And there was some kind of standard that that would be. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, oh, yeah, that means that you want some lettuce, tomatoes, um, you a know, stock a stock of groceries. Ham. Was it a stock? It was a stock. I, I searched because oh. I knew that wasn't okay. the right word. Yeah. All right. But, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, she, it sounded like she ordered. Right. Like, she didn't give a list. groceries. Yeah. They had, like, an idea of what a stock of groceries. I had the same impression. Yeah. And that yeah. was that was kind of weird. And I wonder if that was a thing that you could do back in the day. I think it, I, I'm, I suspect it was. I think it was. Which is super um, interesting. It's neat. Yeah. Super um, interesting. So before we wrap it up, this fucking quote um, is about like we were talking before about how everybody wanted you know couldn't stop talking about the will and everything mm-hmm. and and but like the way this is written so like it's 
crazy exposition. It's super awkward. There's just so many things about this quote that were weird that I had to, and it's long, so you're going to have to bear with me. This is about synopsis length. Um, Nancy is shopping for clothes and talking to the saleswoman. And when their interaction is pretty much over, this is this is what the saleswoman says to her. It's been a real pleasure waiting on you, Miss Drew, the saleswoman said after Miss Reed left and Nancy was putting on her suit. But how I dread to see those Topham sisters come in here. They're so unreasonable, and they've been and they'll be even worse when they get Josiah Crowley's money. The woman lowered her voice. The estate hasn't been settled, but the girls are counting on the fortune already. Last week, I heard Ada say to her sister, oh, I guess this is where it gets fucking hilarious. Last week, I heard Ada say to her sister, oh, I guess there's no question about our getting old Crowley's fortune. But I wish father would stop worrying that somebody is going to show up with a later will, which may do us out of it. (sighs) But again, I think you hit on it with the Hardy Boys. I think when your target audience is 12 years old. Yeah. That that kind of stuff becomes important in case they didn't get it on the more subtle passes. That, right. And it's like, but everybody she talked to sure. said something yeah. about a later will. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Yep. Yeah. It was just, yep. and, but, and like that clumsy exposition and it was just, uh, everybody. And, but that was like, everybody was so forthcoming. Nancy could have been standing in the same place all day long. And like a video game, people would have just walked up to her and volunteered information. <laughs> It's awesome, dude. I love that. It's great. And it's so true. It's so true. So, um, so anyway. I'm gonna, I'll go into my wrap-up. Um, same thing as the Hardy Boys. You know what? It was, uh, in a way, this was a little more interesting because I wanted to know what the clock had to do with the will. Um, so I actually found the mystery a little more interesting. I liked, um, and I'm trying to take myself and put myself back in that, you know, 10, 12 year old, like she carried out the whole thing and it was so much scarier because it was just her. Um, you know, I may have identified with the Hardy boys born when I was young, but in looking at this, I actually think this was a better, uh, a better mystery overall. Um, although it was super repetitive, um, as Rob had mentioned with the will and, and everybody kind of giving their sob story, there's a lot more of that in this than there was in the Hardy boys book. But she's a better detective, and I think that uh, they wrote a better mystery. And I don't know how much of that they learned from, you know, three years of Hardy Boys books up until that point. Um, there's no way to, to know. I mean, I'm sure somebody has studied, cross-studied all of them or whatever. Um, but, yeah, equally as important, I think, to the, the, the history of reading by children. So it equally gets um, five stars. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound a lot like I'm parroting Livius. Um, yeah. I think the Nancy Drew story was just a pinch more interesting and she was definitely a, a, a lot more independent of a detective. Um, looking, looking back on it, having read both of them back to back, holy shit, the Hardy boys didn't really do a lot, but they were, you know, charming kids or whatever. So, um, I think what can I, can I bump them down to four stars and then, uh, <laughs> but seriously, um, I don't know it, but that's it's funny that you say that because I thought my to my the same kind of thing to myself, but I was like, you know, would there be a Nancy Drew without the Hardy Boys? Literally, there would not. Yeah. <laughs> so um, overall, it's five stars. Nancy Drew's story was great. Um, it got a little sexier with like a little bit more danger, 
a little bit more boat explosions. <laughs> a little more throwing well, myself against rods. Throwing yes. yourself on rods for like the stupid pervs out there like me. <laughs> um, so yeah, five stars. This was, um, I know there are other examples, but this was uh, an incredible feat of, of magic and conjuring by these, uh, by this, this publishing company. Um, I don't, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, I see it now and I read it and I believe it and I believe it more, but I, I just can't get over the fact that I thought these were like, I really want to write these stories about these kids that can do things versus the Stratemeyer syndicate that essentially yeah. created these with the intent of making, you know, at one point they were selling an average of 70,000 copies per year. That's insanity, even by like yeah. today's standards. Now that was late. That was between 73 and 76. And that's um, uh, just for the Hardy boys. But yeah, they sold over 2 million copies total for, for just the Hardy boys. Yeah, that's insane. And like, yeah. if you want to talk about like, I don't know, man. They had a real, they had a real gig going. So like, the whole idea was like, like Livius talked about at the beginning, there was never like an initial author that spawned. We need multiple authors from the get go. They had a model, and the model was, um, I'm actually going to read. Uh, I'm on the Wikipedia for the Stratemeyer Syndicate, the writing guidelines for um, book series. Um, and this was. Did you read this? Um, no, no, I didn't. I didn't even think to go to their page. I read a little bit on each of the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys ones. Yeah. So the Stratemeyer, right? Stratemeyer Syndicate. Um, when one of their series called Rover Boys, they had writing guidelines, and there's like 10 bullet points. So I'll go through them as quick as I can. All books would be a part of a series. To establish more quickly if a series was likely to be successful, the first several volumes would be published at once. These first volumes are often called Breeders. That's creepy. Uh, the books would be written under a pseudonym. This would provide apparent continuity of authorship, even when the author died and would, even when an author died and would disguise the fact that the series were written by multiple ghostwriters and plot outliners. There you go. Oblivious. Uh, the books would look as much like contemporary adult books as possible with similar bindings and typefaces. I mean, they thought of everything. The books would be of a predictable length. Chapters and pages should end mid situation to increase the reader's desire. It's like, James Patterson read these guidelines. Mm -hmm. Each book would begin with a recap of all previous books in the series in order to promote those books. Books, books might also end with a preview of the next volume in the series. And then in quotes, Nancy could not help but wonder when she might encounter as strange a mystery as the recent one. Such a case was to confront her soon. The clue of the whistling bagpipes. The books would be priced at 50 cents rather than the more common 75 cents, a dollar, dollar 25 and then this one, characters should not age or marry. Protagonists of early series such as the Rover Boys, Tom Swift, and Ruth Fielding did grow up and marry, but sales dropped afterwards, prompting the syndicate to make a rule that the characters never marry. It sucks because it's a business, you know, and, and you find out what works, right? So sales drop and you yep. notice they drop after they marry. So you go, you know what? We're just not going to marry off any of our other characters. Like, yeah. it makes sense. It works a little bit. And I know I watch some kind of chicky TV shows from time to time, right? But there's this <laughs> thing that happens where the love story is almost is always far more interesting when they're kind of like dancing around one another. Right. And your interest completely drops off when they hook up. 
And this is an adult guy saying this, right? So, yeah. and and it holds true, and that's why it's always like this big build up to you know whatever Ross and Rachel or whatever it is in whatever show, and then once it happens, um, Pam and Jim on The Office were yep. far more interesting before they got together. Yeah. yeah. So I think they're. I mean that. Well, that trails back to, to the 1930s, I guess. And it correlates to real life if you think about it. Like when you're in your 20s, like. You keep getting pissed when your friends get married and have kids because they become less interesting. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. So there you go. I didn't think about it from a real life standpoint. <laughs> You're just mad at people who hook up with other people. So Yeah. Everybody should be a loser like me. Um, the one thing I did see, and and I, I guess this is uh I'm going to read this whole paragraph. This is from the Nancy Drew wiki, because the first part of this, I think, is important. A cultural icon Nancy Drew is cited as a formative influence by a number of women from Supreme Court Justices Sandra Day O'Connor and Sonia Sotomayor. Yeah, Am I yeah. saying that right? Do you know it's okay? Uh, uh, to for- yeah, yeah. To former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton and former First Lady Laura Bush. Feminist literary critics have analyzed the character's enduring appeal, arguing variously that Nancy Drew is a mythic hero, an expression of wish fulfillment, or an embodiment of contradictory ideas about femininity. Femininity. God damn it, that's not an easy word to say. Femininity? Femininity. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that's why I said they're very, very important. for you know, for various reasons, I, I think you mentioned earlier. I think it was brilliant. You know, they established like kind of guidelines, like rules to live your life by, like how you actually you know stay on something until you can accomplishment, or yeah. you know how you should treat others or be altruistic. Um, but for me, it still just goes back to millions and millions of kids read these books, and that's super super important. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to end on feels? Uh, no, <laughs> we can't end on feels. We have to go back to shallow. Okay. Um, because as I was searching for Nancy Drew, the book series online, um, it didn't even occur to me uh, at the time that there were film adaptations of different types. But I, 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 as I was searching, there's a 2007 Nancy Drew movie starring a, a then 16-year-old um, Emma Roberts. Did you know about this? Um, it sounded vaguely familiar. I saw it too because there was a TV show for. Yeah, that that threw me down the rabbit hole because I'm an Emma Roberts fan. I think she's a great, you know, great actor. Um, and then so I went to IMDb, and over the years, there's been like an adaptation after adaptation. But um, uh, have I? I've never seen any of it. I don't know if I'm. I'm assuming you probably haven't either. Then I, I don't believe so. I think when all the stuff kind of came out, I was a little past <laughs> the, the Hardy Boys and Nancy yeah. Drew. Yeah. I don't know. As an Emma Roberts fan, I'm tempted to watch the 2007 Nancy Drew, but most likely that's not going to happen. That's just creepy if you do. After people hearing your review, I can't imagine. I'm waiting for that Rod situation to come up. No, that's gross Um, because she was like 16 at the time. That's awful. How long was it before um, there was a crossover? Because you know there had to be a crossover. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, you mean in books or in... No, in books. I mean, then... Oh, God. All right. I have to look this up because I'm excited for fans thinking back to like when people are reading this, like getting to the point when there was a crossover. That had to be a big, that had to be big. That's, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm excited for people who I'm trying to figure out the best way to find this. I'm excited for people who got to experience that. All right, here we go. Oh, there was 36 volume series of crossover books or. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, teamed up with Nancy Drew in the now discontinued 36 volume series of paperbacks. This is not the first time the trio have crossed paths. Earlier crossovers include the 1970s TV series, the novelization. I don't know. All right. So this doesn't give me a lot of information. I guess this is this, the book series. So let's see. Double Crossing is the first one. Uh, you think it'd be easier to find? Oh, 1988. Ugh. All right. I was hoping for something like, you know, in 1931 or 1933, someone got the bright idea to put them in like a super. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of crossover. So do you think crossovers were like a later concept or they just never Apparently, went there? It seems like they were. Huh. Anyway, these kind of started a lot. Of, well, I don't know. I'm sure that every everything that's modern is kind of a derivative of of, of this. Right. As far as like kids detective stuff, you know, and even if there was an earlier example, I have to imagine that this is the one that broke it wide this open. Is the we bigger, talked biggest example, yeah. yeah, yeah. We talked about it um, on the last episode, I think. I read that Carmilla book, which was thirty years before Dracula, but everyone's heard of Dracula and no yep. one's heard of Carmilla, right? So, kind of along those same lines. I was just trying to think of like what's a modern example of like I don't want to necessarily say like a detective thing, but like kids getting up to stuff and well there like, was a there was a real what was that that series i never watched it but there was a really popular series that people are clamoring to come back about a high school girl detective uh, um i don't know god damn it man. well i was thinking, i thought harry potter uh, i mean i guess they solve mysteries right yeah they always they're always well they're fighting evil which is i guess a, a you know not exactly what was going on in these but like hermione was by far like the smartest and most capable person of that whole group. Ron and Ron and Harry were just kind of doofuses that like Locke handed handed them things a lot. So I'm finding parallels. Veronica Mars is what I was thinking oh. of. Oh yeah, with um, Kristen Bell. Is yeah, that? yeah. I mean that was 2004, but um, that's what came to mind is like a modern day kind of Nancy Drew. I never watched it. Um. You know who I likes think, Veronica Mars? Is I don't. Friend of the podcast, Jesse Lawrence. We can ask him about that. We can. Maybe he's read some Nancy Drew books. Possibly. Good. So it's possible. Rob, you know what we've got coming up next? Um, seven years. Seven goddamn year episodes. So, um, we are going to do uh, some uh, stuff. So there, you can call in. And wish us a happy anniversary. Um, we are big enough to allow you to call and wish us a happy anniversary. It always feels weird, like soliciting for yeah, please. Um, happy anniversary yeah. stuff. But um, in the event that there is time and there is not too many, um, we will selectively pick uh, recordings to play on the podcast. Um, there's a phone number that you can call. 773-599-1057. One more time, Rob, for anybody who's trying to find a pen or put it in their iPhone. Once again, that's seven seven three five nine nine one zero five seven. I want to say I went in and I kind of cleared the decks on our voicemail the other day. Did you get rid of all the Walgreens all messages? All the Walgreens messages, yeah. We're getting debt collector messages now. Oh, that's weird. Because we're not a person. so, And we don't have debt. Yeah, no, we are we are debt-free. We are a liquid company. So yeah. it is when, tomorrow yeah, got, we could pack up and tomorrow is like we never existed. Correct. So, um, but I'm now sad that that person from, so I think when I set up my new phone, I don't get, or maybe it doesn't go to the email anymore. That person die? Are they not getting medication <laughs> anymore? Because it seems like it was, the Walgreens oh, no. messages did stop. It's, 
<laughs> oh no maybe they switched to cbs maybe it was just better for them maybe 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 they got their phone number thing figured out that's possible too uh, <laughs> they got the app and then that that sorted everything out we're also um if again time allowing going to um uh bring listeners on live on that episode yeah. um so if you're interested, get a hold of us. Um, there are numerous ways to do that. Probably the easiest one is to either, uh, if you're friends with Rob or I on social media, use one of those direct message options. You could direct message uh, the book podcast account on Facebook, um, or you can email us, which I haven't said in six years now, I think, at bookpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah. uh, all we need from you is your interest and uh, a phone number, really. And we'll be able to call you if you're someone who's very Skype proficient, include your Skype username. And then, like I said, time allowing. I expect that episode will be big. Um, but depending on how many requests there are, we'll only be able to obviously get to so many. So if that's something you're interested in, helping the, the Booked Boys celebrate their seven-year anniversary, we welcome you to do one of those things. Yep. And we'll be posting about this online, too. So you'll be yep. able to, if you didn't write down the number... Or whatever. Can't figure out how to rewind this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're Michael David Wilson and you listen to this at two times the speed. Oh my god, do you know how fast we must talk to him at two times the speed? And all right, so here's my question. If you're listening at two times the speed and you do the fifteen second back button, does it take you back seven and a half seconds? Or does it take you know what I'm saying? Oh, that's weird. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just found out that on Roku, you can go back. Like, there's a 15-second back button on Roku. Huh. I haven't tried it yet. I just read about it today. I had, like, 15 things you didn't know your Roku could do. Yeah. So, anyway, that's probably yeah, not very important. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, come back. Uh, I can tell you when. Uh, come back on April 1st. That's when that episode will be going live. Um, until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.